we are starting a brand new series and it's called Major Lessons from Major Prophets. Major Lessons from Major Prophets. Grab your outline, take it out. About five years ago, we did a series and it's called Major Lessons from what? Minor prophets, and it doesn't mean that you know that one was major, oh, they were a big deal, and those minor ones, uh, they didn't have much to say. Simply, it means the major ones they took a lot longer to say what they were wanting to say, like Pastor Kurt. And uh, <laughs> don't tell him I said that. And uh, but, it, but the minor prophets, it's just basically one is shorter and one is longer. You got 12 minor prophets, okay? And in the Hebrew scriptures, they were just known as the book of the 12. They were one book just rolled into one another. But the four major prophets, that is Isaiah, and we're going to be talking about Isaiah today and next week, then Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And these guys have some big lessons to teach us today. But why would we study them? Let's try and answer that. We got some fill-ins here on the front page. Why studying the major prophets? Well, number one, this is it, okay? They're part of God's word. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is so useful for our lives. So that's important. It's part of God's word. We should study it. Number two, the reason is they're a good introduction to Old Testament prophecy. See, a lot of people, they have just the wrong idea about Old Testament prophecy, and we need to demystify that. You see, these Old Testament prophets, they weren't like stargazers just consumed with the future. They did two things, okay? When they spoke, part of it was just like foretelling. They looked at the crowd in front of them, and they spoke right to them, and a small amount was foretelling. Now, normally in our heads, we're thinking, oh, they just talked about the future. No, they talked about the present. Only 5% of Old Testament prophecy was to do with the coming of Christ. Only 2% about the new age of the church. And 1% is still to be fulfilled. At least 95% of Old Testament prophecy was to do with the headlines of the news. These guys, they came as God's spokespersons. Now listen to this here. The first five books of the Old Testament are really important. That's called the Torah. That's God's agreement, agreement and marriage covenant with the nation of Israel. And the last 17 books of the Old Testament, they're tied to the first five. Because Israel did not keep her side of the marriage. Do you know what I'm talking about, everyone? She was not a good wife, okay? God was a faithful husband, but Israel wasn't a good wife. And then the last 17 books are all about God's prophets saying, you're not keeping your side of the marriage, and we need to talk. How, how many people have ever had to do that before? So that's the way that it worked with the Old Testament prophecy. Most of it was about, oh, the here and now of their lives, okay? But they weren't, they didn't have a political bias. They weren't there, you know, representing Fox News or CNN, everyone. They were there representing God. So it's a great guide to Old Testament prophecy. And then number three, uh, they link the Old Testament with the New Testament. Very interesting that uh, even with Isaiah today, you're going to find out that Paul and Jesus, they quote Isaiah more than any other prophet. They were really bedded in Old Testament prophets. Number four, they reveal Jesus. And you're going to see this next week when we look at the second half of Isaiah and we read chapters 52 and chapters 53. It's like already Isaiah was just describing the crucifixion of Jesus, the suffering servant. And then the last one, and I love this, is it just 
These Old Testament prophets, they just give us a bigger view of God, a bigger view of God. Not an Old Testament God, not a New Testament God, just our God, the one God in both sides of the great story of God. Well, today we're gonna look at Isaiah, and Gordon Fee said this, and I think this is so important. He said, God spoke in history about history. To understand God's word, we must know something of that history. How many people loved history at school, okay? Well, we're gonna talk just a little history here for a moment, a moment as we look at the book of Isaiah. Okay, when was it written? It was written from 740 to 687 BC, okay? And he prophesied across the lifetime of five different kings. So this guy had a big span. Who was he speaking to? Well, if you look at that little map, this is still, this is ancient uh, Middle East and still the modern Middle East. And here is Israel. But by this time, Israel was split into two. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom kept the name Israel. The southern kingdom became Judah. And Isaiah was prophesying to the southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem was, and he was speaking right to those people. That's really important for us to know. And then the last thing is, what was he saying to them? Well, it was about confrontation and comfort. Now, this is just interesting. This is not inspired. It's just interesting. Does anyone know how many books are in the Bible? 66, that's right. How many chapters are in Isaiah? 66. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. And if you look at it here, how many books are in the first half of Isaiah? 39. And like the New Testament, how many are in the second half? Just do your math really quick there, everybody. 27. And it's almost like Isaiah is a miniature version of the Bible. And the first half of Isaiah is all to do with confrontation. And the second half is all to do with comfort. The first half is the threat of the Assyrians. They're gonna come in. They're like the superpower of the day. And the second half of Isaiah, when we talk about it next week, is about a people who have been exiled, who are in Babylon, but God says, you're all gonna come home. I'm to bring you home again. So it's just a good thing to understand. So today we are talking about confrontation. If you want to know more about this, you can go to our Bible app. Okay, sorry, our Bayside app. Download the Bayside app. We've got a reading plan that's going to help you read through the four books this summer and also give you extra resources. If your frontal lobe is going more, I want more information, more information. Get it all in the Bayside app. So are you ready to dive into the first half of Isaiah, everybody? You ready to do this? Well, here we go. We're going to be talking about confrontation. If you don't face your past, it can't free your future. How true is that? And to help us with this, we have to talk about Marie Kondo. How many people know who Marie Kondo is? Do you all know? Oh my goodness, she is some girl. If you don't know what it is, her hit show is called Tidying Up, everybody. Tidying Up. She's on Netflix. She comes into people's houses, and it is just an absolute mess. It is full of clutter. And she calls herself, her, calls herself a decluttering evangelist. But what do we do? Instead of tidying up our house, we sit and watch a show about tidying up. <laughs> Come on, everyone. Turn off the television and start tidying up, okay? And it was almost like God said, hey, 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 Judah, southern kingdom, listen to me. I've been telling you for years, you need to tidy up. Tidy up your room, yeah? 
Sounds like a parent right now. Tidy up your room. Tidy up your room. Tidy up your room. You're not listening to me. Tidy up your room. Tidy up your room. And Isaiah basically says this. If you don't tidy up your room, the Assyrians are going to tidy it up for you. Now you really need to listen to me. And this is the whole idea of like the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is this, that God loves you so much that he won't leave you the way you are. God is going to intervene in your life. And do you know what? If you're getting a hard time from God, don't fight with them. Say, thank you, Lord, and change. Start changing. So God is ready to confront. Let's look at the first 10 chapters of Isaiah, okay? God confronts dead religion, but loves passionate devotion. That's what we learn in the first 10 chapters. God, he hates dead religion. He just can't cope with dead religion. And do you know what? To find out how he feels, I'm going to read to you from chapter one. God doesn't start off lightly. He jumps right in. Are you ready for this? You're going to love this. Here he goes. This is God speaking about you know, the religion of Judah at this time. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Wouldn't it be great if Andrew came out at the offering time and I just looked at all of you and you all went, it's offering time, yeah! Stop bringing meaningless offerings! He'd be like, whoa, he's upset today. Get him coffee quick. Listen, your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. I hate your services, Bayside. What? Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. How do you feel, God? I hate with all my being. Like, Lord, what are you doing? This is what he says then. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. And plead the case of the widow. What God was saying was, I don't care if you're having services. I don't care if the temple is having sacrifices all day long. But if you're not looking after the poor and the needy, I just think, scrap the whole thing. Because true religion, James says, is this, is to look after orphans and widows and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, I, I, I like to think that you like me. I like to think that you like me. I like to think I'm likable. I like to think that when I'm up here, you're going, oh, Pastor Andrew, he's so nice. He, he really is. He's Irish nice. He's just, he's just Irish nice. And, and you should come to our church because we got a nice pastor. we got a nice pastor. And I like to think I'm nice. But if you mess with Isabel, <laughs> if you mess with my wife, everybody, if you mess with Isabel, it's not, it's not nice, Pastor Andrew. It's Kung Fu Andrew. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's Karate Kid McCourt. It just all changes. You mess with Isabel, it all changes. And you know, listen to me. When you read God here at this moment in time, God is not angry. This is God being jealous and passionate because God is in a marriage relationship. And he said, I committed myself to this marriage and you might not be committed, but I'm committed. And I want to get this marriage back on track. I'm absolutely committed. It's not angry God, because some people go, oh, oh, angry God, Old Testament, angry God, Isaiah. Quick, let's get the Matthew. Let's find happy Jesus. Let's find Swedish Jesus, Swedish Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyed, lamb round his shoulder, Ikea Jesus. Ah. 
Give me that. Turn the volume down. Old Testament, turn the volume down. Soothing classical music with Jesus. No, that's not it. There's not an Old Testament God, a New Testament God. It's the same God. But what you're seeing here is a covenant God where Israel said, yes, I do. First five chapters, remember, of the Old Testament. Last 17 books, they said, you need to get on with this, girl. You need to come back to me. You need to get close to me. See, God doesn't like dead religion. He doesn't like it. What are the signs of dead religion, everyone? Here they are. These three We flirt with God. We flirt with idols and we flirt with social injustice. We just basically flirt with them. Like we do God on the weekend. Can I just be straight here today? Can I go like full Chris Brown? Is that okay without the sandals? (laughs) I think sometimes it's even possible to come to Bayside and just have enough of God on the weekend to inoculate us from the real thing, everybody. It's possible to play with God and like go check, bean the church, tip them a little bit and just walk out and not be fully devoted. Have a little fling with God at the weekend but live with idols all week. I think it's possible. You know what I believe? That we can't be fully devoted to God and not be fully devoted to social justice. You see, Jesus... They loved him. They, he was nice, Jesus. And they were like, yeah, 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 I love you, Jesus. Kiss the babies. Uh. And then when it came to the Passion Week, they said, Jesus, you're coming into Jerusalem. Here's our palm branches. Yo, love Jesus. Here's our cloaks right on them. Yo, Jesus, love the donkey. Yeah, Jesus, go to Jerusalem. And he went into the city and they were shouting what? They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? It means save us, save us. And he, oh yeah, I'm listening. I, you're saying, what, what did you say, Hosanna? Yeah, save us. Okay, I'm going to save you. And when he got into the city on his donkey, instead of turning right, they thought, turn right, Jesus, turn right and go to the Roman barracks because we are living under occupation and you, Jesus, just turn right on your donkey and just go in there with donkey and you just kick those Romans out. Jesus said, no, you said save us. And I'm going to save you. And he didn't turn right. He turned left. And he went to the temple and he became Kung Fu Jesus. And he kicked it over. Because he said, you know what? That dead religion is going to do you more harm than aggressive Romans. America, listen to me. We cannot sell out Jesus for dead religion. He did not go to the cross and give his life. And on this Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, send his Holy Spirit so that we would have dead religion. Your neighbors need more than that. I need more than that. My marriage needs more than that. Our families need more than that. The kids that are coming to breakaway need more than that. It's full devotion to Christ. Amen? Amen. Full, you can see I'm enjoying myself. Okay? Lesson one, write it in. Never lose your spiritual passion. What are the lessons that we can learn from these major prophets? I think Isaiah, if he were here today, okay, and whatever prophets were, he would be saying to us, you know what? It's thousands of years on, but never lose your spiritual passion. How can we keep or or restore our passion? Well, it happened to Isaiah. In chapter six, he was going up to the temple as normal, but he suddenly has this moment with God. It says in chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with his glory. 
And he says this, there was cherubim and there was seraphim and they were flying around. Listen, they had six wings. It's really cool. Are you ready? High schoolers, you ready for this? You think you've seen some cool things? Listen to this. He saw this. With two wings, they covered their face. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew, okay? They weren't drones. They weren't robots. They're living beings. And they're flying around all of the time. And every now and then, they do a sneak peek. Sneak peek. Look at God. Sneak peek. Sneak peek. They look at God. And every time they look at God, this is what they do. They go, wow. And they turn to one another and they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do I wonder if, do I have any wow of God left in me, everybody? These guys were flying around all the time. And every time they look at him, they go, holy, holy, holy. Do you know in scripture, if you want to say something that's important, say it once. If you want to say something that's really important, say it twice. That's why Jesus went, verily, verily, truly, truly, say it twice. But what do the seraphim do? They go, holy, holy, holy. God's just incredible. How do I restore my spiritual passion, everyone? I get a new, view, a new view of God. He said, I saw the Lord, and then I develop a tender conscience. This is what he said. I see God, and then I see me. Woe is me. I am stuffed right now. I'm toast. I've just seen God, and I'm toast. And this is beautiful. How do we transform, or how do we restore our passion? We transform our conversation. And this is really important. It says that one of the angels, seraphims, took a coal from off the altar and came and touched his lips. I do believe this, that when I get a new vision of God, it changes my conversation, everybody. Amen? It changes my conversation. And the last thing is, is this. How can we restore passion? We will let God shape our will. He said this, here am I, send me. Is this good today, everyone? This is stuff that we need to hear. Look at this. So lesson number one is never lose your spiritual passion. What's the other big point here, okay? Number two is from chapters 13 to 23, it is God loves the world but confronts nations. I love this stuff, everybody. I really love reading Isaiah. These 10 chapters, God loves the world, but he confronts nations. God's interested in the nations. I I first brought my family to America in 1999, 20 years ago, and someone invited us to uh, spend a month in Atlanta in the summer. (laughs) And uh, we find out later on, they were playing a trick on us. And if you ever want to get scared of hell, spend a month in Atlanta in the summer. And, and so we learned this technique, stay in air-conditioned vehicle and run into air-conditioned building. Now, we just found that out. So uh, we pulled up at a restaurant, got the two boys out. They were just very small. And we're running into a restaurant and a guy stopped us and said, can I interest you in a special deal? And my wife's like, no, no. I was like, what is it? And he opens a suitcase, a big baggage, and brings out of it, listen, one hand, he has a full size, like this here, children's atlas. It's nearly three feet tall children's atlas and then a hairbrush and he says they're both yours for ten dollars and I thought what is God trying to say to me here he wants me to be a hairdresser to the nations well I mean what what is this is this a prophet and and Isabel went no and I went yes ten bucks and she said why did you buy those I said here's a hairbrush 
but I wanted the atlas, everybody. I wanted the atlas, a big cardboard, thick atlas. And do you know what I used to do with my two smaller children at that time? I said, I want you to sit on the atlas and I used to show them the continents of the world. I used to show them the countries of the world. Their father, grandfather, my dad had been a Royal Marine, seen 37 different nations. Their French grandfather and grandmother, they had just spent every sort of like school vacation that they had. They were teachers. They went all the French-speaking world teaching children about Jesus. I showed them all the nations in, the, in Africa. New Caledonia. Does anyone know where New Caledonia is? Check your atlas when you go home. Okay, they've been there the other side of the world. And I wanted them to see this. Why did I want them to see this? Because I was born in a place called Northern Ireland. And the worldview was so small where if you were born in one street that was deemed to be Protestant and the next street was deemed to be Catholic, they would fight and try and kill each other simply because they were born in a different street. The street of your birth would determine who your enemy was. And you were born into the small, little, isolated world. Kill that person over there, even though you don't know them. And I wanted to show my children there's a big world, everybody. And it's a world that God loves and God's got a calling on their life to the nations. God's got a calling on our life to the nations. I wanted to do something with them. I want you to see this big world. And it's been incredible just to watch what's gone from my childhood into their lives. My kids have now got an Irish passport, a British passport, a French passport, and an American green card. They're like Jason Bourne, everyone. They're just... <laughs> Get up every morning and go to the safe and see American dollars, euros, pounds sterling, pesos, whatever. I just want them to see that the world is bigger. Listen to me. God sees the world. For God so what? Love the world. The whole entire thing. There's different views on this. Look at this here for one second. There's deism. Deism is like, ah, oh, God created the world, but you know what? He's tapped out and it's like over to us. The other extreme is dictatorship. God is control of everything. And if God, if you go into Starbucks and you order a latte and God doesn't want it, he'll make it come out as an Americano, which I do believe is God's will for your life, okay? <laughs> But it's not deism or dictatorship, it's devotion. God lives in here in devotion. Look at me, God's devoted to the world. What's the big lesson? Write it in. Here's the big lesson. It's God's world and he's what? He's deeply involved. It's God's world and he's deeply involved. And this is very interesting. Remember I told you earlier on, last 17 books of the Old Testament connected to the first five because the first five is all about the marriage of Israel to God. Well, you know what? God has something in chapters 20, 13 to 23 of Isaiah. Isaiah starts speaking to the other nations and they didn't turn around and go, well, we never got married to God. We can do whatever we want. He spoke to the other nations because he said, God still created you nations. In my go day, you carry the image of God upon you and you just can't live any way you want. It's interesting in Romans chapter two, verse 14, that the apostle Paul says this, the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? Us. He said, the Gentiles didn't get the law of God in the first five books of the Old Testament, 
But you know what? He said, it's kind of like my law was on their hearts. They've got a moral conscience. They were made in my image. And you know what? Many times they actually lived more like Christians than the Jews did. Boom. And God has something to say to the nations. That's what Isaiah teaches us. It's God's world, but he's deeply involved. Like, can I just give you a little bit of advice here? Can we put up those three points? Look at this here, a little bit of advice. Don't mix prophecy and politics. Like, don't be reading Jeremiah in a couple of weeks and going, yeah, he's definitely a Republican. No, he's not. I need a bigger amen than that, everybody. Let's not give God a political party. Don't give God a passport. I really strongly believe he is Irish. I really do. But I can't be categorical, okay? And then don't be an armchair theologian. Don't be an armchair theologian. What does that mean? Don't sit back thinking you've got all the answers pontificating about really important stuff and not get involved. You see, these prophets, they weren't like in isolated hills. They weren't living in caves. They were in palaces. They were in the courtyards. They were in the corridors of power. They were in the marketplace. And they were fully engaged with the people speaking on behalf of God. And God wants us to be engaged because I do believe that God is concerned, people. Last year, 26 people owned the same as the 3.8 billion people who make up the poorest half of humanity. Did anyone hear that? 26 people in our world owned the same as the 3.8 billion people who make up the poorest half of humanity. Today in our world, 262 million children will not be allowed to go to school. Today in our world, more than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean drinking water, just to what we can go to any tap and get. Diarrhea caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation, and hand hygiene kills an estimated 842,000 people every year globally, or approximately 2,300 people per day. 2,300 people will die today because they don't have clean water. God's concerned about the nations. He's concerned about our nation. He's concerned that the fifth largest city in America is the U.S. prison system. He's concerned. That's why we do Folsom Prison. That's why we got a Bayside family there. Because he's concerned. And it, he's not concerned because he's a Democrat or he's a Republican or he's a Protestant or a Catholic. He's God. And he made us. And I think the things that concern him concern us. And you think, well, what can we do? Well, thank you for what you are doing. Motion campaign reaches 50 different nations with your generosity. Thank you, Bayside, for what you do. God's concerned. He's involved and so should we be. Hey, come on, let's keep this moving. God confronts rebellion, but promises redemption. Oh, this is cool, everybody. Look at this here, chapters 24 to 34. God confronts rebellion, but promises redemption. 
So, so important. At this point, Judah's not doing good. They're not doing good. They're losing all the time. Uh, I got sent this the other day. I thought this was really funny. You're such a loser that if you entered a loser competition, you'd come second. <laughs> My daughter showed me that. I don't know what she was trying to say. And, uh, and you know what Isaiah was saying to Judah at this time? Loser! You're losing, you're, not, you're just not doing good. And because of that, I really need to talk to you right in, in lesson three. God never brings a woe without a wow. He never brings a woe without a wow. And these prophets, they brought some bad news and they just said, you know what? The Assyrians are there, God's gonna judge you. It's gonna be ugly. Do you wanna read some of it? This is like, this is absolutely hilarious. Okay, here we go here. It says, see, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. Yo, God, thanks for that nice promise. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. And everyone said, me, really? It will be the same for priest as for people. As for the pastor, as for the member. For the master, as for his servant. For the mistress, as for her servant. For seller, as for buyer. For borrower, as for lender. For debtor, as for creditor. As for Raiders fan, as for 49er fan. You're all getting it. <laughs> it's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be ugly, everybody, okay? But after all the woes, he brings the wows. Look at this. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And this is interesting, but you would have none of it. I wanted to give this all to you, but, but you would have none of it. And I love Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. How beautiful is this? For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. We got a God that says to us, do you know what? I got to warn you of the judgment, but I will never bring a challenge without comfort. It's not a good thing for a parent to understand as well. I'll never bring a challenge without comfort. I will always do it in the context of safety. There will never be a woe without a wow. Our last point today, last point. Isn't it great when a preacher says last point? There's like hope comes into the room. We're gonna get lunch, okay. God can do the big things if we confront the small things. Chapters 36 to 39, it goes into this narrative and tells us about the last king under the time of Isaiah, a guy called Hezekiah. No, actually, he wasn't the last king. He was the penultimate because he had a son called Manasseh who cut Isaiah in half. Okay, it's a really encouraging story. Um, <laughs> But Hezekiah was a good king. He was a righteous king. And the nation had sinned for so long. And Isaiah was coming. People, you've got to get your act together. And remember this. I'm just tired of all your ceremonies. I'm tired of how you're doing the temple. And you've got all the poor sitting outside. And look what you're doing in here. Ah, scrap it all. And Isaiah said, the Syrians are here. Quite literally. Hezekiah looked out his window. And there was 185,000 Assyrians ready to judge. And he's like, what am I going to do? So he goes to the temple, gets down on his knees, Hezekiah, and he calls out to God. This is the king, King Hezekiah. God, help us. You can read it here afterwards in all your notes. Please, God, come and help us. And God, he says, okay, I will. And through Isaiah, he comes to him and he says, 
we're going to call this whole thing off. And listen to this. That night, the angel of the Lord came, and in a single night, he killed the 185,000 Assyrians. It was a miracle, not for the Assyrians, but for (laughs) Judah. For Judah. And God saved the day. Absolutely saved the day. Peace had come. Hezekiah was like, yeah. But one year later, he did something really stupid. You see, he just got, he just got too casual. He just took his eye off the ball. And these spies came. And they said, oh, he said, where are you from? He didn't know there were spies. We're just like a gang of guys turning up like, you know, a tourist party. Oh, yeah, we're just looking around the place. And he said, yeah, come on in. And he said, where are you from? And they said, oh, just a little place called Babylon. When it should have been Babylon. Because like, you know, if uh, my daughter brings home a guy and I've never met him before and brings home a guy when she's 40 and... um, (laughs) And go, hey, where are you from, son? And he goes, Babylon. I'm like, what? See, Babylon was the bad place. And Hezekiah hadn't done his homework and it wasn't good. It was like, oh. And he showed him all of his kingdom. He showed him all of his treasures. I was talking to my dad yesterday about this on the phone. And my dad said, you know what? He said, son, you know what his big mistake was? Hezekiah's big mistakes. They weren't his treasures to show. They were God's treasures to defend. And this is also what my dad said. He should be preaching today. He's a lot better than me. He said, when they asked to see the treasures, he simply should have said, get on your knees and look to God because he's our greatest treasure. He's our greatest treasure. He showed them all the treasures and Isaiah found out about this and he said, you should never have done that. The enemy came and got a foothold and you let him over the threshold and now he's got a stronghold and the Babylonians are going to come and it came true in 586 and all the treasures you showed, they're going to take them off and your best young people and bring them to Babylon as exiles. It was a crazy, crazy, crazy move. First World War, 1914 to 1918. It was the Germans against the Allied forces. The Germans here, the French here, they had their trenches. It was terrible. My grandfather fought in that war at the Battle of the Somme. It was a dreadful time. The armistice came in November 1918. The war stopped, but the French were still nervous and they were thinking, oh, those Germans, they could still pick a fight with us again. We need to defend the German-French border. And so the foreign minister at that time was a guy called Maginot. And he said, let's build a long line, a concrete wall between Germany and between France. And it was called the Maginot Line. And we'll point all our guns at Germany. Germany there, France here, concrete line, guns inside. Germany, we've got you. We're pointing right at you. And the French were all excited. They're all high fry, high fiving each other. Ah, ooh la la, wee, 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 hey. 
yeah. And so they're all doing their little French things and, you know, hitting each other with baguettes and throwing croissants and uh, Pierre. And so they're just having a wonderful time and uh, whatever. And if you know your history, 1940, 1940, the Germans said, oh, we'd like another fight with the French. We would like another fight with them. And the French went, we're ready for you. All our guns are pointing at you. Germany, France, Germany. And Germany went, ah, we'll just go through Belgium. And we'll just come round the back. You can't do that. You can't do that. Throw down the baguettes. Toss away your baguettes and your croissants. I mean, you can't do that. Our guns won't point this way. They won't point this way because they're all pointing at Germany. Germany, we're right behind you. You see, God stopped the Assyrians at the front door, but they came in the back door. Here's the big lesson, everyone. Look at the lesson. Don't lock the front door and leave the back door open. Have you ever done that? You're going out at night. Did you lock the front door? Yeah, I locked the front door. Our, our, our front door is so, so locked. It's got special code in. It's got the dead bolt. It's got barbed wire and lasers focused on it. And you do all that. Come, you come home, it takes you 10 minutes to open the front door. And you come into the house. The back door has been left open. With Hezekiah, God was saying, I stopped the Assyrians, 185,000 of them, but it took five or six Babylonians to sneak in and ruin your future. Look at me, on the cross of Jesus Christ, he died for you. He died that you would have forgiveness, that he would take away your past. He filled you with his spirit. He's given you everything that you need to lock the front door. Look at me, everybody. Don't leave the back door open. Andrew McCourt is loved, redeemed, washed, bought by God, secure in God's hands. Oh, I'm telling you, the front door is safe. But I can leave this place and either thought or indeed be an idiot. Are you with me? I can just be an idiot and do some stupid things. And God just goes, that's not on me. That's on you. I can fix a lot of things, but I can't fix stupid. <laughs> Are you with me, everybody? And look at me. You, you, you've kept your life pure for all these years. Don't throw it away. You've kept your marriage together through the through the hard times. Remember at the beginning you had no money. Remember you had no money. Remember Chick-fil-A was a treat. Yeah? And then you had your kids. You worked through your kid. Don't throw it away now. You hailed off the Assyrians. Don't let a few Babylonian thoughts come in and steal so much. God's locked the front door. Everyone, let's look after the back door. Are you with me? You all with me on this? Hey, we're going to pray. And I want you to stay where you are today. Come on, don't be moving around because this is when a chance when we get, let people connect with God. So this is important. Just stay where you are. First of all, I just want to speak to people who, who aren't yet a Christian. We, we love doing this at Bayside. Again, with your eyes closed and your head bowed and you're just going, Andrew, the biggest lesson today is I need God in my life. So if you need God in your life to become a Christian here in Video Cafe, would you just simply pray this prayer with me? 
a real simple prayer of just surrender to God. Just say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. You died for my sins and I confess I'm a sinner and I repent of that. And Jesus, would you bring your forgiveness into my life? Take away my past and give me your future. Lord, where there's hatred in my life and sin, just take it away and give me your love and hope. And Jesus, become the God of all of my decisions in the future. Again, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment if you prayed that prayer. But when you pray that prayer, it's never an embarrassing moment here at Bayside. And when you raise your hand, it's just me and you. And lots of people in this room will do it. So are you ready? If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, would you right now raise your hand so I could see it? Just put your hand in the earth. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, just raise your hand. Keep doing it. Thank you so much. Bleachers as well. Thank you. That is really good. That, that is so, so good. That is so good. And I just, I haven't done this in any other service. Again, with your eyes closed, your head bowed. I, I just feel prompted to speak to some people about that last point. Just to say, you know what? I'm going to put a security system on the back door. Just feel that the Spirit of God is prompting me now for some people. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or any outward sign. But I just feel that for some people here, you're messing with stuff. And it's like God has done so much, but you're just saying, hey, hey, here's another way into my life. Come on, right, round the back. And I'm going to ask you just where you're sitting. Can you take, just take a quick moment with God and say, God, I'm leaving this place today. Front door locked, back door locked. There's no room for the enemy in my life. Father, so I pray for us, Lord, as your people, as the ones, Lord, you're so passionate about, devoted about, and devoted to. I, I just pray, God, in a, in a day when we've talked about confrontation, confrontation, that we will receive your love, your correction in our lives, and Lord, that opens up so many more possibilities. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.